So hi, I'm Michael. I'm a business owner, profession jumping entrepreneur and investor, kind of funny improv artist and quite neurotic. Best of all, I'm always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I'm a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a dweebs global production where you can go for free resume help, mental health assistance, and so much more. There's no catch. They have over 600 mentors from around the world. Dweebsglobal.org. I am here today with Susan. Um, I, I didn't even ask how to pronounce your last name, and I'm never going to get that right. <laughs> Go ahead and try it, Michael. Go ahead. Oh, should I have some fun? Okay. Hannafin McNabb? Yeah, she got it. Oh, really? <laughs> That's right. It's phonetic, yes. Okay. All right. It, it looks complicating, but it was <laughs> one of the first ones I've you gotten got on the first try. I will, after going, through, <laughs> after going through the unexpected tragedy of losing her husband, Susan was propelled to act both personally and professionally to find practical tools and resources that would help her and her young son intentionally restore, renew, and rebuild a new life. Susan is a social worker, an educator, a speaker, five-time award-winning author, and so much more. So thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate being here. Yeah. So I, I cannot imagine losing a wife or a husband. I don't even know where to start with that. How, how, did, that, how did that happen, first of all? And I know most people don't know where to start with that. Unless you're living that life, unless you're a widowed person, then we just kind of dive right in. So I'll go ahead and, and make it easy for you and dive right in. Um, I, so I was married uh, with my husband for 17 years and we had a five-year-old. We were living in Australia at the time because my husband was a professor of international business. And long story short, we were on our way back to this country to resettle. And um, we were back here for about a month when he died in a car accident. So I was left with a five-year-old child who was grieving and not understanding what was going on and no job, no car, no housing. I mean, we had just come back. So that was the bottom line and the, and the ground, you know, ground zero for me. And, um, and that's where I had to start building from there. So he wasn't sick. It was just a, an accident. I don't know. Car accident. Yes. Yes. And before um, he was in the car accident, he was missing for two weeks before we actually realized he was in a car accident. He just went for a drive and never came back. So um, I will talk about this later, but in my book, I talk about not only is losing a loved one a grief story, but many of us have trauma embedded with that. So the two weeks or longer, right, of somebody missing an action um, causes a lot of trauma for people. So I talk about that a lot as well. Right. The, the, the two weeks of not knowing and just imagining all the different scenarios and probably trying to prepare yourself for the worst, which I know in all of these situations, when I try to prepare myself for something bad, if the bad happens, the preparing didn't help at all anyway. Exactly. Not. And right. And the brain doesn't really go totally that direction because I think most humans are hopeful. So when you try to be hopeful, you don't automatically think, okay, they died. Right. That's like the last thing you want to think about. Right. Right. Um, so how did you get through those two weeks and what were you telling your son? Well, Fortunately and unfortunately, my husband was a professor of international business. 
So he was often traveling. So as far as what did I tell my son, it was, you know, dad's working. We were, we were back and forth a lot between different countries. So for a five-year-old, it was kind of a normal thing. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're here now and we're now here and then we're going over there. Um, so that was not a challenge. Um, but I think the challenge for anyone who has someone missing in person is to get up and breathe every day and, you know, wondering, and, you know, as far as my situation, we hired a private investigator. Of course, we called the police officer and filed uh, police and filed the missing persons report. So we knew there were, there were people also looking, but um, until a nature photographer found the vehicle down in this area where there's um, actually a beautiful lake, um, that's when we knew what had happened because a photographer had, had found a vehicle down in this ravine. Um, so, you know, now, almost nine years later, I can say, fortunately, we found out what had happened. There are many families who live with the unknown forever, um, whether it's a military person who's been missing in action or just someone is never found. Um, so, right, weighing my gratitudes, which I do often now, um, I feel fortunate that we did find out what happened. Right. It's, uh, I, I mean, I'm so sorry that you lost your husband this way. It's unbelievable that you've picked yourself back up um, and getting through that. I have an obsessive compulsive mind. I take Zoloft as my miracle cure presently for it. And I, I just couldn't imagine because I'm sure 24 seven, my brain would just be, that's all it would think about. Like no matter what I would do, I couldn't, I don't know how someone. Right. Well, I've gotten good at compartmentalizing. That's for sure. Um, and over time, that's actually one tool that some people use when they're grieving is to compartmentalize when you're going to grieve. Right. So for me, it was, okay, I got to hold it together until I get my son off to kindergarten and then I'm going to fall apart in the car and then I'm going to fall apart at home. But for that five minute car ride, I got to compartmentalize and just hold it together, right? So I think there, there are tools um, that I've learned along the way that, that help. I think that, that's a great tool that I should use more often. You know, just get to, get to 10 minutes from now, like literally just concentrate yes. on what you're doing in the next 10 minutes. Exactly. Or, or people can give themselves, okay, I'm going to totally lose it for this half an hour. You know, sometimes you can't control that, but if you're at work, you can say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to try to focus, even though that's hard. And then when I come home, that's my time, <clears throat> excuse me, to completely fall apart. So giving yourself pieces of time and chunks of time where you can lose it and fall apart or think about whatever. And then you got to try right to, okay, now I'm going to close that box for now. And I will open it in 20 minutes or tomorrow at 10 or whatever. So it's a strategy. It, it takes a while to, to get there. I think AAA was trying to train me in that strategy about 30 years ago. I remember driving from Hartford, Connecticut to New Orleans, and I went to AAA for one of their map sets. And it was literally like, oh, okay. it was a long book and it'd be like 50, 60 miles on one page. And then you flip the next. Yes, I, I remember the they're triptychs, right? Triptychs, yeah, they were called. But if I had looked at the whole <laughs> trip on one big map, I would have lost my mind because that's like that's right. hour drive. That's right. So getting the yeah. Well, we're old, we're old enough to remember triptychs. You know, my son would be like, "What is that? I don't understand what that is." 
right? You can't make a wrong turn because triptychs doesn't correct you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're off on the side. So how did, uh, how, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping back from like humorous topics to, to something nope, that's, that's okay. I use humor a lot, actually. Okay. okay. It's my coping mechanism. So I'm glad it's your, one of yours as well. Uh, how did your son handle or how did your, did your, when did your son fully realize or understood what was going on? Cause I, I, you know, I have a nine year old, but when they were back in, when they were five, I, I can't imagine them comprehending that at all. Right. Well, there, there's so much research on children and what they actually understand at different ages. So young children don't understand that death is permanent. So at around four or five, it's kind of like, um, is he coming back? Is he not coming back? You know, kids younger than five don't understand what that means, right? Death, is it sleeping? Is it, what is that? And then as kids become teenagers, obviously, that's really real. And many teenagers have a very, very hard time, even more so than some really young kids when a parent dies, um, because they fully get the permanence of that. How have you helped your son get through it as he's gotten older? I'm sure it's... You know, that's a great question. I do a lot of work with widowed parents and... Um, Part of the work I do now in my second scene is as a the programs and education manager for a nonprofit that serves the global widowed community, and it's called Soaring Spirits International. And three times a year, we have a conference, a huge conference at a Marriott hotel, one in Tampa, one in San Diego, and one in Toronto, and it's called Camp Widow. And three to 400 widowed people, some with children, some without, converge on the Marriott for a three-day conference for the widowed community. And some of the workshops I do are for parents and talking about how to integrate the life of their, their parent into their current life. So for instance, we have things all over the house that belong to my son's father. Um, the painting behind me was painted by Brent, my late husband. Um, we lived in Hawaii for a long time and he painted. So we have this hanging up. Um, if you could see down the hallway, his surfboard is in the hallway. Um, his musical instruments that he played are around the house. Um, we, I have a friend who's a beautiful seamstress and we took all of his Hawaiian shirts, gave them to her and she came back with these two beautiful wall hangings made from his Hawaiian shirts. And so these things are just part of our daily life and stories. Um, we have to keep telling our children stories about their parent to keep them alive and to make sure that they get to know their parent through our eyes and the eyes of others. That sounds like something very difficult for a lot of people to do, um, but I'm sure it's super healthy for, for everyone involved once you're, once you're in it. Right, yeah. it, it's healthy and hard at the same time. Um, you know, I had Hawaiian shirts in a big trash bag, not going to throw them away, but I didn't know what to do with them. I knew I needed them, but four years later is when the wall hangings happened. So this is not, okay, they die and everything gets put around the house. Uh, the reality is, you know, pictures are up and then I put them down. It's too painful to see, right? The person who's not here anymore. So then I put them up and down and up and down. 
And now this is almost nine years later for me. So now everything's up. And I know for me in my belief system that Brent is with us as we move along. And so we talk about him daily and his things are around us daily. And um, that's what works for us. All right. It's, it's beautiful. Um, I, I know my next question is not probably a normal question you're asked, but I'm asking whatever comes to my mind. <laughs> Let's see. I, yeah. Okay. So how does, if somebody, how do, how do you move on maybe and find somebody else when you're still surrounded and still so involved with, with your, your husband, with your former husband? Right. That's a great question. And actually dating and repartnering and remarried is a huge topic in the widowed community. We like to say, we don't say moving on, we say moving forward or moving with. So we believe that we move with our person and, um, and there are plenty of people out there who are very open to dating someone who's widowed. We believe that we love harder and stronger and we know what life is about because we've lost so much. So we have a lot to give and have a lot to offer. Um, it takes, <clears throat> excuse me, a special person though to not be um, jealous or envious of the other person who isn't here anymore. Um, and I've met many men, I'm not repartnered right now yet. Um, that's a hope for the future. But I've met and dated several men who are who were wonderful with my son and talking about his dad and you know taking him out on his dad's surfboard. So there are plenty of people who have the self-confidence to date someone who's widowed, knowing that we have the capacity to love them, them and love the person that died. It, no, it completely makes sense. Um, it, is it ever hard not to judge or compare? Because I know even with exes that I've broken up with or that I didn't want to be with, you know, it's still, you immortalize them or you, 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 you remember just the good times. You remember like how, you know, the fabulous times are fabulous times 10, which makes it hard right. sometimes. To... Right, right. And it's never, you know, nothing was ever perfect. And I'm the first one to say, I mean, I love Brent and I will always love Brent. We were not perfect as a, as a you know, marriage. Our marriage wasn't perfect. I don't think any marriage is. Mm -hmm. um, he had faults, so did I. Um, so I, I don't think I compare so much in, you know, qualities, but I do know that I'm not shooting for less than I had with Brent. <laughs> you know, I married someone who was highly educated, who had his financial stuff together, who emotionally had it together, who spiritually was on the same page as I am. So I'm shooting for those things again. I'm not shooting for less than that but I do know that it's going to come wrapped in a different package. And, um, and that's great. I'm looking forward to that. Right. Well, I'm sure you will get there. So <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thanks for the, what was the first thing you did when he passed away as far as reorganizing your life and just starting over? You know, that's, it's such a great question. Um, you know, there was a lot of yelling and screaming and kicking and crying, of course. And, and anger. I was angry for a long time at, at him, at God, at everybody else who was walking around happily married. Um, I, you know, I was angry for a long time, but, but anger for many people is motivating 
right? Depression, we turn inward. Anger, we turn outward. And so I was so angry. I was determined to figure this out in whatever way I could. And I went, um, I'm a social worker by training. So I started social working my life and my son's life and hit the pavement in San Diego looking for any and all resources and people and opportunities that would help us heal. So in that process, I, if you can see behind me, I've got all my binders. <clears throat> I'm a teacher type, so everything's organized. Very, very and organized. I, you can definitely see. I know, right? So I organized my uh, resources, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to letter Z, and that became a book. And the book is called A to Z Healing Toolbox. And it's full of practical tools for people so that they can navigate grief and trauma. Um, so it was little steps at a time and collecting people and information and resources. And, and I'm still doing that nine years later. What, what's, um, what are a couple of big mistakes you made along the way that you would want to tell people that, so that they avoid them? Well, you know, I was a social worker, as I mentioned, and so I was used to helping others, gathering information for, their, for them. I wasn't so used to asking for help myself. And I had to turn the tables on that and really get good at asking for help for me and for my son. And that's been a practice that I've had to get really, really good at. You know, I think in our culture, we are do it yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, um, be independent and move forward or move on or whatever the terminology is, you know, from the job loss, from the divorce, from the death, from whatever. And I do not believe that that is the way we are supposed to do life. I believe in connection and community. And part of that is asking for help. So that's one, you know, an early mistake I made was thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to just figure this out by myself. Absolutely not. This was way too big of a situation to do myself. Got you. It's been a theme when I've talked to a lot of people is how important tribe is to have like your group, to have the people close to you that you can lean on. But it's also yes. so common for everyone to be afraid to offer help or to overstep their bounds. Right. And that, that's such an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, this painting was painted when we lived in Hawaii. And I love the Hawaiian culture uh, because it's very interdependent. You know, multi-generations of family members live together. Everyone's helping each other. It's the aloha that you hear about. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's common on the island on the islands and on many islands and in many cultures, but in our culture, it's not so common. So I tried to just remember my time back in Hawaii and really just look for the people who could be part of our support network and, um, and not feel like I had to do this all by myself. Gotcha. Have you ever thought about going back to Hawaii? Oh yes, many times. <laughs> we go back and visit often, but um, who knows? Maybe someday I'll move back there again. Yeah, <laughs> I've never been. And I want to move there. <laughs> it's um, beautiful. Yeah, it 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 looks it. So it's so far from the East Coast. So it's uh, whatever. That's whenever, true. Whenever I start planning, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. Once you get over there, you'll yeah. be happy you did. I'm sure. I'm sure I would. You created the A to Z Healing Toolbox. Are there a, a couple of the 
most useful tools you could share with us right now? Sure. I'm just going to show the book cover so people know what it looks like. It's HZ Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. And so in the book, yes, our letters A through Z, 26 different tools people can move to, to help them through the grief and trauma process, because I'm still looking for the magic wand. And since I haven't found it, I figured, you know what, let me give people some helpful tools. Um, well, let's just start with letter A. You know, most people realize by now that animals, A is animals in the book, um, animals and animal therapy really helps. Well, why? And what if you're allergic to cats? You know, how can that help? How can people integrate an animal into their life to help with healing? Um, you know, physicians have been prescribing therapy dogs for a long time to help lower depression in humans, lower anxiety in humans, and increase our levels of, um, of you know, the good, the happy hormones. Um, so even I'm looking at my fish, I have beta fish all over my house now, because that's not something you're going to hold, obviously, but it's still something that brings meditative effects to your life. Um, two years after Brent died, we got our own therapy dog who's actually sleeping on the floor just over there. And, um, and he's helped us immensely just get out you know, it, they force you to move, go to the pet store, buy the pet food, go take them for a walk. Um, animals are huge in healing. So that's one tool that people know about sometimes. Um, letter J is journaling. And I talk about journaling, journaling a lot because that is something that if I heard one more person say, you know, if you just start writing things in a journal, you'll feel so much better. And I just wanted to punch people because that was not helpful to me. But in the book and when I speak, I talk about there are many different ways to journal. One is through writing, right? We get on our left side of the brain and we write about order and logic and things that make sense. Well, in my situation, nothing made sense. So that meant I had to access the right side of the brain, which is where colors and imagery and sound and light are stored. Um, and folks can do what they call, what we call an illustrated discovery journal, which is pictorial. So no words involved, just pictures, getting stacks of magazines and ripping out images that call to you and gluing them in a book. Um, there are many, many ways to journal. So those are the two of the letters. Gotcha. The, um, I, I, they've got to be super helpful. I know my dogs keep me busy and keep me active. <laughs> and yes. just, having, just having them there wanting to be with me, it just feels good when there's nothing else, no one else around or, or, or feeling Exactly. Different. Right. I mean, we love our oxytocin and that, that's the bonding hormone. So animals do that for us. Right. When they're a therapy dog, do they stop peeing in corners and doing other things that aggravate you? Are they trained? Out of yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So lots of training. Well, there's service dogs, right? And those dogs are trained to be with one individual. And then therapy dogs like mine are trained to be with everybody. So he, my dog Kai can go into homes um, for patients that he can go into hospitals. Um, he's trained to not pick up things off the floor um, you know, to put his paws up on a bed and say hi to somebody who's in a bed up here. So different things like that. Not allowed to pee in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> 
So if people want to work with you, they can go to a to z healing toolbox.com. And you also have an online toolbox. Yes. So it's a two number two, a to z healing toolbox.com. And if folks go to the website, they can click on the online toolbox. They'll see all the letters a through Z. Um, they can click on letter B for breath work and look at the why I'm a big why person. Why does breath work help us heal physiologically? What does it do for us? And then there are a bunch of resources. So um, that is free for everyone to use. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at that right now. That it's, that's great. I always need a why too. I hate just being told to do something. And if I need a reason yes. behind it, I need to know how it's working. Me too. <laughs> yep. And it's all there. So the why is there and what, it, what these um, healing tools do for humans, our physiology and then resources. So people can go to, you know, L for laughter or N for nutrition or O for organizing your support and get information and resources about how to possibly integrate that tool into their life. And the reason really that there are 26 tools listed because, you know, we're all different and different things are going to call to us. So I immediately went to exercise because that's what I knew. I met my husband at the gym. I'm a, I'm a active outdoor person. That's where I went first to heal. Cause that's the only thing that made sense. Somebody else might go to meditation or, you know, or animals right away, who knows? So it's, um, it's kind of a, just an offering for people to see what might work for them. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask and comment on is that you have a, a lot of different ideas and it's, it's nice that it's not these five ideas are the only ones that'll help you. It's no, everyone's different. Exactly. Everyone yes. And a lot of people, um, I work with a lot of widowed people, as I mentioned, and bereaved parents and folks will take the book and just open it blindly, you know, to a page and just wherever, whatever chapter that is, that's where they start for the day. And uh, the chapters are short because the grieving and traumatized brain cannot handle a lot of information input. Um, so it's not a book that you read from cover to cover, cover to cover. It's a, you know, just open it wherever, start where you want to. There are pages in there to write notes. Um, it's really a guidebook. Was there, was there at a certain point where you felt like you had crossed the threshold of surviving to actually healing? You know, it's such a good question. I, I think healing is just how I've become that that's how I move through the world. Now I, I didn't wake up on a certain day. Okay, now I'm done. I mean, my husband's still dead. I'm still a solo parent. I still have those stressors. Um, I have created a new life for us, for ourselves. And that's taken a lot of work, a lot of time and a lot of help from others. Um, so, you know, I'd love to say there's a formula for that. And that, you know, at year two or at year five, I was so much better, but it really has been such a gradual process. And um, if there's one thing I've learned from all the grieving people that I've worked with thousands of people, it's that there's no right way or one way to do this thing. Um, I've met someone recently who has joined in on our programs for Soaring Spirits International, the Global Widowed Community Support Network. And she was widowed 12 years ago and she's now ready to start grieving. So that's 12 years later. You know, there's, there's really no timeline. Everyone does it how they do it. Wow. 
Interesting. Well, thank you so much. Uh, again, it's a, the number two Z healing toolbox.com. We'll put the link below the podcast and the video as well. And thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. It was a joy talking to you and you're welcome. I learned a lot. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. So again, this was a Dweebs Global production. They're a nonprofit organization and they give free mentorship help around the world. They have over 600 mentors, speak every language in every continent, and it's free. Resume help, mental health assistance, anything. You got it. Dweebsglobal.org. So thank you.